Please help me to welcome Don Eden. Well, thank you so much to all of you uh, for, for coming. And I'd like to thank Emily and everyone at the CIC for hosting me here. Uh, it means so much for me to be giving my last local talk before my move here at the CIC. Uh, the CIC is actually where I gave my first public talk on my first book, uh, The Thrill of the Chaste, subtitled Finding Fulfillment While Keeping Your Clothes On. <laughs> and so uh, I spoke uh, here on The Thrill of the Chaste uh, just uh, the week it came out uh, in December of 2006. Uh, and then the CIC hosted me again uh, when my second book, My Peace I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints, came out in uh, April of 2012. Uh, so uh, I, I feel like family here, and I'm very grateful to uh, the uh, staff and management here for having this oasis uh, in, in Washington. It's particularly um, been helpful just in sustaining me as a new Catholic. When I first came here uh, to Washington after uh, leaving my job at the New York Daily News in July of 2007, uh, it was um, only a year after I had entered the Catholic Church. And so the uh, very rich Catholic culture here in Washington, of which the CIC is a part, really helped me to, f to feel uh, welcome. And I'm also grateful to everyone here and everyone who can't make it but maybe listening uh, to this audio for really making me feel like family in the Catholic community here. Uh, so my talk tonight is on healing the memory, what St. Ignatius Loyola and Pope Francis can teach us. And it's, uh, it's actually a, a preview of what I hope will be my third book. Uh, right now I am writing, finishing a proposal and about to submit a sample chapter uh, to my publisher, Ave Maria Press, for my next book, which will be on this very topic of healing the memory uh, through the, the uh, Jesuit spirituality as it's articulated, uh, particularly by uh, Pope Francis. And this is an outgrowth of uh, the response to my piece I give you. I wrote my piece I give you as uh, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse who found healing through the life and, and sacraments and uh, prayer of the church. And I wanted other survivors to find this healing that I had found and there wasn't any other book out there that was Catholic on healing from childhood sexual abuse. But as I began to get response from readers, I found that uh, many people were saying to me, this is really a book for everyone. Everyone should read this because of the principles that I outline about healing. Uh, but I realized that a lot of the people who might benefit from it uh, probably wouldn't think that it was for them because they hadn't suffered uh, sexual abuse. And so that was where the idea of doing a book more generally on healing of memory came through. Now there are a lot of books on healing of memory and one of the things they tell you as an author is to be very careful that you're not entering into a field that's been saturated. But there is no book yet about what Pope Francis can tell us about healing of memory. And what I found is that uh, Pope, Fra Pope Francis, who uh, ascended to the 
papacy after I wrote my piece I give you uh, can tell uh, a, us a lot uh, about uh, healing of memory and uh, really about finding a union with Christ uh, in our sufferings. Uh, so what follows is really the sample chapter of, of uh, my next book. I'm trying it out on you. I apologize in advance if it sounds a bit more like a chapter and not so much like a talk. Uh, the talk will be uh, about 35 uh, minutes and then I'll uh, be uh, delighted to answer your, uh, your questions uh, if I'm uh, given time. Uh, so uh, let's begin, since this is the feast day of St. Ignatius Loyola, founder of the Jesuits, I ask you to please uh, uh, begin by uh, asking uh, St. Ignatius Loyola and all the Jesuit saints to uh, pray a Hail Mary uh, with, with us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Where is God when we are suffering? Pope Francis had to face that question when, at 21, after enjoying the certainty that God was calling him to the priesthood, a sudden illness led him to fear for his life. Francis often speaks of what it was like for him when he first felt certain of his vocation. That happened when he was 16, while making confession. And Francis always describes that vocational experience as being an encounter with God. A young Jorge um, Mario Bergoglio did not just think that God might be calling him, he knew. He says, I was convinced that I should become a priest. In a private declaration of faith written shortly before his priestly ordination, Bergoglio cited that encounter as proof of God's love for him. He wrote, I believe in my history, which was infused with the loving gaze of God, who on a spring day crossed my path and invited me to follow him. Yet just four years after that powerful experience in the confessional, Bergoglio's security in God's plans for his future was threatened by the very real possibility that he might not live to see his next birthday. It was August 1957, wintertime in Argentina, and Bergoglio was not yet 21. He was in his second year at the diocesan seminary in Buenos Aires, trying to discern whether to remain a diocesan seminarian or enter a religious order when he fell ill with pneumonia. The diagnosis came slowly. His biographers write that for three terrible days, he struggled between life and death. Fifty years later, the fear he experienced remained vivid in Bergoglio's memory. He remembered that at one point, while he was delirious with fever, uh, he reached up from his sickbed to embrace his mother, asking her desperately, tell me what's happening to me. Elsewhere, he has said simply, I was about to die. Ultimately, the doctors finding three cysts determined it was necessary to remove part of Bergoglio's right lung. They waited until his condition stabilized and then performed the operation. 
After the procedure came even more pain. For days, a saline solution was pumped into the young man's body to clean out the affected tissue, draining out through a tube in his chest. The effect was literally as though salt were being poured into his wounds. Family members and friends stopped by Bergoglio's bedside during the ordeal, but nearly all their efforts to cheer him fell flat. Seeing him in agony, most of them were reduced to offering trite sayings like, this will pass, or won't it be nice when you're back home? We can imagine that Bergoglio was speaking from experience when he reflected years later on man's reluctance to encounter the suffering flesh of his neighbor. Uh, Bergoglio wrote, many do not draw near at all. They keep a distance, like the Levite and the priest in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Others draw close by intellectualizing the pain or taking refuge in platitudes. Life's like that. Still others focus their vision narrowly and see only what they want to see. Many are the ways we avoid drawing near to flesh in pain. So wrote uh, Francis before ascending to the papacy. Yet there was one person who offered Bergoglio something more than platitudes as he suffered in his sickbed. Sister Dolores, the nun who had been dear to him ever since she prepared him for his first communion. She told me something that truly struck me and made me feel at peace, Bergoglio recalled. Uh, her words to him were, you are imitating Christ. That changed everything. It changed the way young Jorge Bergoglio experienced the trauma of his illness. It changed his understanding of the meaning of the pain that had brought him almost to the point of death. And I would say that most of all, that realization of being united in suffering with the crucified Christ changed Bergoglio's understanding of the meaning of memory. From then on, whenever he reflected upon the events of his life, both the joys and the sufferings, he would believe that his history was, in his words, infused with the loving gaze of God. That is why today, as Pope, he is able to say, I have a dogmatic certainty. God is in every person's life. Soon after leaving the hospital, Bergoglio made the decision to enter the Society of Jesus, beginning his novitiate, the first stage of the order's formation, on March 11, 1958. Years later, he explained that having become acquainted with Jesuits at the seminary he attended, which they operated, he was drawn to their missionary spirit, community, and discipline. We do not know whether he was also attracted by the teachings of the Society's founder, St. Ignatius Loyola. Yet it is certain that during his first year as a Jesuit novice, Bergoglio experienced for himself how the saint's spirituality would call him to deepen his imitation of Christ, for it was then that he made his long retreat. 
The long retreat is the 30-day silent retreat during which the Jesuit first-year novice is led through the prayers and meditations that comprise the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius Loyola. Through reflecting upon the mysteries of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the exercitant, as he's called, is moved to deepen his union with God in Christ, discern his divinely appointed mission in life, and place himself fully in the divine service. Bergoglio's experience of the spiritual exercises, both during his long retreat and during the periodic retreats he would make over the ensuing years, profoundly uh, inf affected his understanding of prayer. In the ma first major interview that he gave as Pope, published as A Big Heart Open to God, he told his fellow Jesuit, Father Antonio Spadaro, prayer for me is always a prayer full of memory, of recollection, even the memory of my own history. For me, it is the memory of which St. Ignatius speaks in the first week of the exercises, in the encounter with the merciful Christ crucified. And I ask myself, what have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What should I do for Christ? It is the memory of which Ignatius speaks in the contemplation for experiencing divine love when he asks us to recall the gifts we have received. It is telling that Francis cites what could be called the bookends of the spiritual exercises. What he calls the encounter with the merciful Christ is part of the first exercise, while the exercise he calls the contemplation for experiencing divine love, usually translated simply contemplation on divine love, is the last exercise. Together, they form the spiritual framework within which the exercitant opens his mind and heart to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Since these two meditations are so important to Francis's understanding of prayer, it is worth taking a closer look at each one. Francis tells us that in his prayer full of memory, he asks himself, what have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What should I do for Christ? Why are those questions from the first meditation of the spiritual exercises so important to the Pope's understanding of prayer? It is because for both Francis and Ignatius, meditating prayerfully upon the crucifixion or any mystery of Jesus' life is not merely an act of the imagination. It is, as Francis says, a true encounter with the merciful Christ crucified. We encounter Jesus to the extent that our hearts are joined to the one great prayer of the church, the prayer that unites all our individual prayers into a single offering, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The Mass is the supreme prayer full of memory, for, as Francis tells us, the Eucharistic celebration is much more than simple banquet. It is exactly the memorial of Jesus' paschal sacrifice, the mystery at the center of salvation. 
The word memorial, Francis adds, when applied to the Mass, does not simply mean a remembrance, a mere memory. Uh, Francis says it means that every time we celebrate this sacrament, we participate in the mystery of the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. The Eucharist is the summit of God's saving action. The Lord Jesus, by becoming bread broken for us, pours upon us all of his mercy and his love so as to renew our hearts, our lives, and our way of relating with him and with the brethren. Over time, as we continue to bring our own God-given uh, uh, this is uh, me speaking now and not Francis. Over time, as we continue to bring our own God-given capacity for memory into the memorial of Jesus' paschal sacrifice, it changes us. Like young Francis on his sickbed, we discover for ourselves the healing truth proclaimed by the Second Vatican Council. By suffering for us, Jesus not only provided us with an example for our imitation, he blazed a trail, and if we follow it, life and death are made holy and take on a new meaning. Francis does not deny that memories can cause discomfort and anxiety. Our history, he says, is full of tensions between past and present, between present and future, between time and eternity. But, uh, Francis uh, tells us, those cha challenges are not resolved by suppressing our memory. On the contrary, he says, memory engages us with that tension and learns to read the present situation in the light of God's saving power. And when read this way, the present is turned into promise for the future. So, so uh, has said uh, Francis, now reading the present situation in the light of God's saving power is healing because it shows us that the memories we carry from our personal history are incomplete. They do not tell us the full story. The, the wounds left by our past suffering no longer define us. This is true regardless of whether they were caused by other people or by outside circumstances or by our own bad choices. Our memory is indeed part of our identity, but it is not the most important part. As Francis says, what most defines us is not that we ourselves remember, uh, but that we ourselves are remembered by God. Listen to Francis. He says, there is a passage in the Bible from the prophet Isaiah, which says, even should a mother forget her child, which is impossible, I will never forget you. And this is true. God thinks about me. God remembers me. I am in God's memory. Francis spoke those words in 2014 while meeting with prisoners, but his message is the same when he speaks to the princes of the church. Prior to his papacy, 
when giving the spiritual exercises to bishops in Spain, he said, the fundamental task of the church of each one of us to cultivate memory springs precisely from this assurance. The Lord remembers me. He binds me close to his heart. This is why prayer needs to be permeated with memory. The Lord remembers me, as Francis says. That healing truth is at the heart of Mary's great hymn of praise, the Magnificat. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy according to the promise of our fathers to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary's own prayer is truly a prayer full of memory and, and um, Francis says, as with Mary, our acts of thanksgiving, adoration, and praise found our memory in the mercy of God that, that's in the mercy of God that sustains us. Uh, so uh, says Francis, and uh, he goes on uh, to, to say that um, when our memory is thus rooted in the Lord's merciful love, the present is transformed into promise for the future. As a result, uh, Francis says, when human flesh settles down to pray, it rescues memory. Our flesh is remembrance, and the memory of the church is precisely the memory of the suffering flesh of God, the remembrance of the Lord's passion, the Eucharistic prayer. Francis's own experience of the memory of the suffering flesh of God is shaped in part by a prayer from the first week of the spiritual exercises that follows upon the initial encounter with the merciful Christ, the anima Christi. The exercitant places himself again in the presence of Jesus and prays soul of Christ, sanctify me, body of Christ, save me, blood of Christ, inebriate me, water from the side of Christ, wash me, passion of Christ, strengthen me, O good Jesus, hear me, within thy wounds hide me, suffer me not to be separated from thee, from the malicious enemy defend me, in the hour of death call me, and bid me come unto thee, that with thy saints I may praise thee forever and ever. Amen. The prayer bespeaks an intimacy with Christ that is real, physical, and fleshed. At the same time, its imagery does not stop at Jesus' humanity, but reaches up to his divinity. When we ask Jesus to hide us in his wounds, we realize as Francis has said, that body, those wounds, those flesh, all are intercession. It is through the wounds of Christ that we encounter the Father. Those are Francis's words. 
Reflections on the message of the Anima Christi formed the basis of Francis's first Divine Mercy Sunday homily, a defining homily for his papacy being delivered at the Mass for the possession of the chair of the Bishop of Rome. The Gospel for that Sunday from, from St. John tells of the risen Jesus' appearances to the disciples in the upper room, including his encounter with the doubting Thomas. Jesus' interaction with Thomas is, for Francis, an example of how, in Francis's words, God responds to our weakness by his patience. He says, this is the reason for our confidence, our hope, for we too can enter into the wounds of Jesus we can actually touch him. This happens every time that we receive the sacraments with faith. But, Francis goes on, we must have, in his words, the courage to trust in Jesus' mercy, to trust in his patience, to seek refuge always in the wounds of his love. Francis is not afraid to admit his own woundedness in order to draw his fellow wounded to the divine mercy. As cardinal, he told his official biographers, I don't want to mislead anyone. The truth is that I'm a sinner who God in his mercy has chosen to love in a privileged mad manner. Uh, that is actually uh, his papal um, motto, um, miserando et eligendo, um, referring to uh, Jesus having pity uh, on, upon St. Matthew, cho yet choosing him. Uh, Francis demonstrated similar humility when, upon his election to the papacy, before he even blessed the people from his balcony over St. Peter's Square, he asked them to pray to the Lord to bless him. So it is not surprising that in the same Divine Mercy Sunday homily, where he urged the faithful to seek refuge in Jesus' wounds, I, Francis refers to his own personal encounters with God's saving love. He says, in my own life, I have so often seen God's merciful countenance, his patience. I have also seen so many people find the courage to enter the wounds of Jesus by saying to him, Lord, I am here. Accept my poverty. Hide my sin in your wounds. Wash it away with your blood. And I have always seen that God did just this. He accepted them, consoled them, cleansed them, loved them. Francis's description of what he has personally experienced and witnessed provides a model for our own healing. He invites us all to call to mind our personal history, recognizing our need for Jesus' merciful love and to bring our own wounded lives into the arms of our wounded Savior. What is it about Francis that enables him to be so confident that the personal history we each carry, including all the sins we've committed and all the evils we've suffered, is valuable to God? He 
his hope is informed by another prayer from the spiritual exercises, part of the second meditation that he cited in his interview with uh, Antonio Spadaro as a prayer full of memory, and that would be the contemplation on divine love. At the heart of the contemplation on divine love is a prayer that has come to be known as the sushipe after its first word in Latin. Uh, the sushipe, unlike the anima Christi, was composed by Saint Ignatius Loyola himself. Before examining the prayer, uh, it helps to know something about the saint's own journey. Uh, some of what I'll share now uh, you'll also find in my book, My Peace I Give You. Uh, when Ignatius underwent a dramatic spiritual conversion in 1521, at the age of 30, there were many things in his past that he would have liked to forget. His mother died when he was just a baby, and soon afterward, his father sent him away from the family home to be raised by a wet nurse. Although he grew to feel at home in his nurse's family, the experiences of loss and upheaval at such a young age likely took an emotional toll on the saint. What we know for certain is that Ignatius bore deep regrets for things he had brought upon himself. He would later say that before he was awakened to the love of Christ, he was enthralled by the vanities of the world, and especially the military life, where he seemed led by a strong and empty desire of gaining for himself a great name. We also have his friend's account that he was reckless with games, women, and brawls. During the years following his conversion, Ignatius began an intense period of prayer and penance. It was then that he began writing his spiritual exercises. At the conclusion of the regime of meditations, he placed the contemplation on divine love. The contemplation begins with two points for reflection. First, love should be manifested in deeds rather than words. Second, love consists in a mutual sharing of goods. Uh, and Ignatius goes on to say, to explain this, one, that is, one person always gives to the other. Ignatius then invites us to set the scene for the meditation. In his words, to, to behold myself standing in the presence of God our Lord and of his angels and saints who intercede for me. And Ignatius says the object of this meditation is to ask for an intimate knowledge of the many blessings received that filled with gratitude for everything, I may in all things love and serve the divine majesty. In praying the contemplation on divine love, we are first asked to call to mind the blessings we have received, all of which are proof of God's love. But Ignatius has told us that love is necessarily a two-way street. One always gives to the other. So we must give back as well. What kind of offering can we give God? What is it that he desires from us? The answer comes in the powerful words of the sushi pay. Uh, Ignatius writes, Take, O Lord, and receive my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my whole will, 
all that I am and all that I possess, you have given me. I surrender it all to be disposed of according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace. With these, I will be rich enough and will desire nothing more. Given Ignatius's sorrow over sinful choices he made during his former life, it is moving to see that the first thing the saint offers is his liberty. Wanting to live for God instead of for himself, he gives up his freedom to act so that he might say with St. Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then comes the aspect of the prayer that is perhaps the most striking. Having given his freedom, Ignatius seeks to give God his mind and heart. What is the first part of his inner self that he offers? It is his memory. Now, in Ignatius's understanding of the human mind, the concept of memory refers to more than just particular memories. Memory includes everything that had entered into his consciousness to make him who he was, whether or not he could actually remember it. This is important for me as a, as a survivor of, uh, of, of abuse and as someone who has post-traumatic stress disorder to understand that this is what Ignatius means by memory, because part of the uh, symptoms of trauma can be not being able uh, to, re to remember uh, things that were painful. Uh, so um, so uh, memory uh, forms, for St. Ignatius, it forms the foundation of his present identity, including his hopes for the future. Uh, this is an ancient way of understanding memory, dating back at least to St. Augustine, and it makes particular sense for one who has survived trauma, as Ignatius had, having been wounded during his military days. Uh, often in survivors of trauma, the brain attempts to uh, protect itself by consigning painful swaths of the past to areas where memory's tendrils, tendrils cannot reach them. Uh, yet, uh, the memories of traumatic events, whether present to us or not, remain part of us. Uh, that is why there is something very beautiful about St. Ignatius offering his memory to God. The saint acknowledges there are things he cannot change, the events of his past, and at the same time displays the bold hope that his maker will accept him as he is now, with everything he did and everything that was done to him. I remember how arresting it was for me as a survivor of abuse when I read the sushi pay for the first time. I thought, how could God possibly want my memories? I don't want my memories. I've been trying to forget them. And God wants them? But the answer is that God wants everything. Most of all, as Pope Francis says, he wants to teach us to be more loving. He wants to confirm in us the commitment we have made. And this is what our memory does, for memory is a grace of the Lord's presence in our apostolic lives. That is why Francis tells us our prayer needs to be permeated with memory. For when we unite our memories to the memory of God who remembers us, 
we find our identity as children of our heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, who suffered death and was buried and rose again. And this brings us back to the first part of Ignatius's sushi pay, when he offers God his liberty. Francis points out that liberty and memory, the foundations of Ignatius's self-offering, are intimately connected. Uh, he points to the words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses reminds the Israelites how the Lord, after freeing them from slavery in Egypt, provided for them during the 40 years when they were being led through the wilderness to the promised land. Moses says, the Lord your God fed you with manna, which you did not know. Uh, these um, final reflections from Francis that I'm sharing with you are actually very recent. They're from his homily for, uh, the, uh, for Corpus Christi last month. Uh, and so Francis says, the scriptures urge the people to recall, to remember, to memorize the entire walk through the desert in times of famine and desperation. The command of Moses is to return to the basics, to the experience of total dependence on God when survival was placed in his hands so the people would understand that Man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Uh, you may uh, recall uh, in, uh, in the gospel when Satan tempts Jesus, uh, that uh, Satan is tempting Jesus to turn these stones into bread, and Jesus rebukes him with that verse, man does not live by by bread alone, uh, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And in fact, uh, Francis is fond of a saying of Leon Bloy. He actually said this in his very first uh, Mass as Pope, speaking to the cardinals. Uh, Leon Bloy said, uh, anyone who does not pray to the Lord prays to the devil. In this same spirit, Francis reminds us in his Corpus Christi homily that if we, having been set free by Christ, seek to nourish our spirit with things that are not godly, we are like the Israelites who complained about the bread from heaven. Any use of freedom, and I'm paraphrasing Francis here, any use of freedom to find uh, satisfaction in things that are not of God is not true freedom, it is slavery. Now, this can be a challenge for those of us who have suffered trauma. If we have been hurt by others or wounded by the circumstances of life, we may be tempted by the food of slavery, the food of self-pity, the food of despair, the food of anger at other people and anger at God. I think of these temptations which I myself have suffered when I read Pope Francis's description of how if we dream of foods other than the bread of life, we are, and I quote, like the Hebrews in the desert who longed for the meat and onions they ate in Egypt, but forgot that they had eaten those meals at the table of slavery. Francis says that in those moments of temptation, the Israelites, and I quote again, they had a memory, but a sick memory, a selective memory, a slave memory, not a free one. Uh, so says uh, Francis. Uh, now, the uh, Israelites 
were led from slavery to freedom by God himself going before them, guiding them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We can likewise escape our slavery to past regrets and resentment if, as Francis says, we follow Jesus truly present in the Eucharist. This is the true bread from heaven, as Francis says, our manna through which the Lord gives himself to us. Uh, let us uh, end praying uh, in our heart uh, with these words of Francis from that same uh, homily last month on the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Francis prays, Jesus, defend us from the temptation of worldly food which enslaves us, tainted food, purify our memory so it isn't imprisoned in selfish and worldly selectivity, but that it may be a living memory of your presence throughout the history of your people, a memory that makes a memorial of your gesture of redeeming love. Wow, you have been a wonderfully patient and kind audience. Thank you so much. God, God bless you all, and I'll be uh, delighted to hear your uh, thoughts. Any feedback you have will be very helpful to me as I, as I finish this proposal for my next book, and I'll be delighted to answer your, your, your questions. Thank you. Does anyone have any questions for Don? My question is, so at the beginning of your talk, you were talking about Pope Francis and how he experienced this kind of redemptive suffering when he was quite ill. Mm -hmm. And um, this isn't at all to sort of sidestep the beauty of that redemptive suffering. But I'm asking sort of in, if you look at now instead of looking at memories, for example, if someone is in a situation like that, like you're talking about, like abuse or something. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to sort of try to extract yourself from situations Absolutely, like that. Absolutely, yes, and I talk about that in my piece I, in my piece I give you uh, very, very much. It, it, it always pains me, you know, when I say things and, and I'm not, you know, able to say, you know, everything in one quote. It, it pains me when sometimes people will hear me and they'll say, well, are you seeing God? wants us to suffer or no I'm not saying you're saying that but you know it, it can sound like that if we're not careful um, that's why uh, one of the things that Christopher Hitchens held against Mother Teresa because Mother Teresa held that the suffering people in Calcutta uh, were Christ among us that they that they uh, were were um, whether they were Christian or, or not Christian, they were in some way associated with Christ, part of his, part of his body, and that this was why we're called to help them. And Christopher uh, Hitchens, the uh, very uh, outspoken atheist, God, God rest his, 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 his soul, he died, uh, I think, last year right here in, in Washington. Um, Christopher Hitchens uh, accused Mother Teresa of being in love with suffering and not wanting to alleviate people's suffering, but that's not the whole picture. 
of, of what we teach, that the church is the largest provider of, uh, of uh, health care in the, in the world. No one uh, alleviates uh, human suffering more in, in more different you know, ways than, than the Catholic Church. Uh, but uh, what we refuse to say is that, is that uh, human suffering is, is um, in terms of suffering of illness, uh, or, um, or other types of, of sufferings that we endure in this body, we refuse to say that that's the ultimate suffering. This is what John Paul explains in Salvafici Dolores. The ultimate suffering is separation from God. If we're going through, uh, through any kind of uh, psychological or physical uh, suffering, um, yes, we are supposed to do everything we, we can within, within uh, reason uh, and within um, the, the, what God uh, teaches us is permissible. We're supposed to do what we can to alleviate it. But we are never to, to let the experience of suffering warp our thinking into, into thinking that um, this uh, pain is the truth. The truth is never the pain. Uh, the pain is is the is the lie of, of the devil. It's 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 what led us into the in, 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 it's the the effects of living in a fallen world. Um, the truth is is always uh, the love of God, a love that cannot even be bound or or constrained or, or prevented by our pain. This is why uh, th this is why uh, Jesus says that uh, that the the gates uh, behold I give you the, uh, the the kings of the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church because he's saying that the church Christ's presence on earth is a divine inbreaking that even the the hell of human suffering cannot prevent Christ's love from entering in I, does that answer your question Thank you. Thank you for reading. It's a very um, powerful thesis. I was curious. Did you were you working on this thesis before Pope Francis became Pope? Thank, th thank or, you. Or did that inspire you to develop the thesis? I'm just curious. Oh, thank thank you for asking. Uh, actually, it's um. I'm afraid that for the rest of my life I'm going to be pretty much a one-note person. But the things that I say about redemptive suffering in here, I'm certainly uh, developing them, learning more about them, but it's really, um, this message that I share here is the message of, of conversion, and, and the rest of my life is trying to parse out this conversion. I, I first uh, experienced conversion when, as an agnostic, I I, I discovered uh, the 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 love of of God in, in Christ, and I uh, became uh, baptized and and uh, and uh, was um, was was baptized um, uh, in uh, in a Protestant uh, church. Uh, but then um, I had another conversion when I discovered the truth of Catholic faith and was received uh, in 2006 into the Catholic Church. And then I had another kind of conversion. You know, I, I, I'm not one of those people who speaks about, you know, baptism in the spirit and, and so on. I, I, uh, I respect, you know, people who, who uh, use those terms in as much as it, you know, bears great fruit in their lives. But, but for me, I, I did have 
a sort of um, equivalent experience during a spiritual exercises retreat in in uh, 2010 when I was saying to God here I am I'm in your church I'm home there's nowhere else for me to go and I still have this PTSD I still have these painful memories I still have trouble even having a relationship with with a, a family member who permitted my abuse when I was a child what can I do am I just scarred and stained for life am I just doomed to uh, to have this feeling of separation from you Lord separation from from family because of this um, anger and resentment and pain and the answer that I received during that retreat was um, I, I think it's technically called an intellectual vision which means that it's not like you know what Teresa of Avila you know would see where it's you know something physical but something where God was using my imagination and what I saw I was praying before the tabernacle um, was this image of the Eucharist in the tabernacle as radiating uh, this this light as though it were spokes uh, from a kind of in a bicycle wheel shape and in my mind I saw this light from the Eucharist or these rays going out through all the earth and taking up everyone and everything in their embrace and bringing everyone and everything back to the Eucharist and I meditated on that and began to parse it out and I realized that what it meant was that even the pain of my past is not beyond the love of Christ that you know the past doesn't even exist anymore for me uh, unlike unlike God who is outside of time I live in time and so all I have is who I am in the present and the past only is with me in so much as that um, the effects of it remain and then I realized that when I received this the, the blood of Christ and his body that this body and blood in entering into me in a sense bleeds back into my past uh, the catechism number 1000 says that our reception of the Eucharist is the beginning of our own transfiguration that's that's a saying I think from Ignatius of Antioch and and so I, I realized that um, that therefore um, my past suffering even if it remains painful can no longer really harm me it's no longer like an arrow going dragging me down it's like an arrow going up purifying me perfecting me and so that's the message that I tried to parse out in here and you know the challenge for me now is to try to both locate that message in Francis and Ignatius when I find it and I know it's it's there but also to be docile to the um, deepening of my understanding of of that uh, gospel message as I learn it from Francis and Ignatius and others and, and I and I ask your prayers also as I'm doing this very same research for my doctorate which I'll which I'll be uh, beginning uh, later this month Th thank you for asking yes Yes, uh, but although maybe since this is being recorded, if it might be good to use the microphone. Oh, so I've been flirting with the Catholic Church for about 11 years. I, I have not converted yet, but I, I wonder, you said you spoke, um, you went from agnosticism to Protestant. Did you have any language for redemptive su suffering as a Protestant, or, or did all this start 
after you became Catholic? Because I can tell you in, in my background, I had no vocabulary for it. So did your process of healing start after or? Yes, my process of healing from, from redemptive suffering started after I became a Catholic. And it was really uh, jump-started through reaching our, reading Arch Archbishop Sheen. Uh, there's a booklet by Sheen which, um, which they may have here uh, called Calvary and the Mass. If they don't have it here, I, I'm sure they can, I'm sure they can, they can order it. Uh, it's, it's, it's very uh, easy to find. And in it, um, Fulton Sheen goes through the Mass and shows how the Mass brings us into union with Jesus in, in his, uh, in his uh, one sacrifice, the suffering, death, and, and, and resurrection. And that just um, opened up my, my world because uh, Sheen talks about what a shame it is that there are so many people suffering with wasted pain and that when we uh, suffer in union with Christ, then our pain has meaning. And that made me want very desperately to to not have my own pain be wasted, to have it have meaning. Thank you. Uh, yes. Hi. Maureen, so glad you could make it. Thank you, Don. Um, my question was, um, you know, once you get to the, the stage where you can acknowledge and accept your, your pain and your wounds as, you know, and accept it as part of your past, as part of your memories, I think with some wounds, um, I don't know if this is true for, for yours or what, what you've done in your research and in your own memories. Um, but sometimes, like with addiction, I think it can be hard still to, even once we've accepted those, to move mm. forward and to let go of those. And to, because um, I think, I don't know, in my experience, sometimes like identity is still rooted in those wounds. Mm. And even if it's not a good place to be or it's unhealthy or, um, but how do we how do we find um, whether it be scripture? Um, you mentioned the Magnificat, which mm -hmm. was really beautiful. Um, the Eucharist. Um, like, how do we find that courage to trust um, in that like new identity, which is so intangible? Like, without those memories, without and not like forgetting them and putting them behind us, but um, sort of like how can we? Um, be renewed in, in as a new person. How can we move forward and rebuild our identity, especially if we suffer from addiction? Yes. yes. Um, a great, great question. Well, uh, there are two things that came to mind as you as you were speaking. Uh, the first is is uh, a piece of advice that I quote in my piece I give you from Pope Francis, and I or no, actually I no, sorry, this was written before Pope Francis. I, I quote in my piece I give you something from. Pope Benedict, and I've since found that Pope Francis talks about the same thing, which is that uh, the key uh, to healing memory is to um, reflect on the good things in your past and to hold on to those as, as evidence that even during the dark times that God has been loving you and protecting you. I spoke uh, about a, a year ago to uh, women who had uh, been uh, prostituted and who were graduating from a treatment court in Philadelphia. Uh, and I had to, um, 
in speaking with them, keep in mind that these women may not have a lot of good memories. Very often, um, women who have been prostituted were picked out by the pimps because they, because the pimps could tell that these women had already suffered abuse at home, like they were runaways, they were found at bus stations, and so and so on. Um, so, so in thinking how to advise these women to uh, to think about good memories f from their past, I. I shared with them that just the fact that you are alive today and have this hunger for God means that God has sustained you, that God wants you here now. You know, none of us would be alive right now if, if God uh, was through with us. He's, he's obviously not, not through, through with us and wants us to share uh, more, more deeply in, in his love. Um, the the other uh, thing that came to mind as you were speaking, uh, and this is something that you know I know just from our conversations that is important to to you, is community. It is so important when healing from any addiction or any wound that we find someone we can trust to whom we can speak about our addiction or wound, and through that person, you know, find some sort of community, either either that person uh, himself if, if, or herself if, if they've suffered what we've suffered, or uh, that person can help us to, to find others. I just want to point out that uh, one of the other uh, people here is Sharon O'Brien. Uh, Sharon in the, yes, she's w waving yes. And uh, Sharon is with Catholics for Family Peace, which is a local organization that reaches out to uh, to people who've suffered uh, domestic violence. And uh, Sharon also has done some uh, other outreach to people suffering from various forms of uh, addiction. So she's one uh, person uh, to to whom um, you could speak if if any of you um, know someone who who needs who needs help. Uh, so. Thank you for that question. I think that, do you, do you think we have time for one, one more? Sure, one more. Okay, great. I'll let you pick. I'll let you, you pick some. Sorry. Okay. I just wanted to um, share that through my own life and my own sufferings, the, the one thing that has brought me the most peace is beauty. And, um, and just being able to see that the world is a good place and to just tell yourself every day that the world is good and beautiful and every day is an opportunity for joy and and happiness so um i guess i just want to encourage everybody to um to focus on the beauty of nature the beauty of god's creation and just to, to see the positive and no matter what's happened in the past the sun comes up tomorrow Amen. Well, I couldn't think of a more beautiful way to, to end this. Well, thank you so, so much. I, I, I commend everyone whom, I've, whom I come into contact with every day to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to whom I'm cons consecrated. So you'll all be part of my prayers from now on, and I ask you all to please pray for me as I begin doctoral studies in a few weeks. Thank you, and, God, God, and I'll be delighted to meet you and sign your books. God bless you.